0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning, good morning. What a wonderful, wonderful opportunity the Lord has given us to come before His presence in worship. Amen, somebody. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. I was watching the, the live feed on the monitor that I have in front of me, and um, I see so many of you have already tuned in. Uh, I saw Miguel and Bridget from New York. They logged in, as well as Ron and Susan Clements and Clancy. Uh, which by the way, before I go any further, I'd like to remind the church family that it is Robin Pretmore's birthday today. So if you can reach out to her, just give her a shout out and tomorrow it'll be it'll be Linda, Linda Headley's birthday. So if you can, give her a shout out as well. Anyway, I was just sitting here listening to that wonderful worship music and it does so much to my soul. To know that we serve an almighty living God uh, I don't know what it does to you But it just, it just comforts me It's amazing to be in the presence of God And with those songs And that, that, that subject in mind I want to read a psalm to you Before I get into the word of God this morning um, And this is coming from Psalms 98 And it's titled uh, Make a joyful noise to the Lord It says, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm has worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation, he has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the enemies. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. It says, let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Amen. I love that. I love that passage and pretty much every other psalm in in the Bible. They they have to do with worship. And I relate with King David. I'm not a worshiper. I said that before um, in what Brock had. I love to worship. And the reason I'm spending my time talking about this is because we're, when you think about it, we're we're in God's presence right now, right? So I'm not just going to go through the motions and pretend that we just, that, that this is not that real or that deep, when it actually is. We are actually, literally, and in every other sense, in the presence of the Almighty God Himself. And I love that thought. Because there's so much going on in my life today There's so much going on in the world today And I just need to remind myself Especially early this morning Here in in California Just a little bit after 11am There's some We're going through some stuff Again, we've talked about this extensively This pandemic crisis that we're going through uh, Which doesn't compare to what New York is experiencing uh, But it's a crisis nonetheless and, And we're all going through some stuff and I often think about the people who are struggling without work right now. Experts say there are at least 22 million people. I say the numbers are much higher, but they say 22 million people in this country alone who are out of work. I say that's a crisis. One person out of work because of this pandemic is a crisis enough. We got 22 million plus who are out of work. That's a difficult situation, especially in our context out here in Southern California, where we have a lot of, a lot of friends and and people that we are close to who are not citizens who are actually out of work at this time. And they don't know what they're gonna do. So on that note, when we think about worship, it, it does us a a a whole lot of good if we could just capture that 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 concept. Just simply come before the Lord with with shouts of praises and worship him from the depths of our souls, not just from in here, but, but to offer him everything concerning us, uh, my heart, my mind, my soul, my spirit, my body, everything concerning me belongs to God. And I worship Him with everything that I absolutely, absolutely have. Amen, somebody. I thank you, Jesus. Anyway, uh, we're going to go to the Word of God at this time. I hope you are ready to study this. This morning is going to be more of a teaching lesson. Uh, and of course, this is, um, this is a second the second uh, message in a brief sermon series that we started last week. Uh, it's probably going to be a third part next week and, and we'll probably cap it off with that. Uh, but it's going to be a Bible study today. So I hope that you got your Bibles in front of you. I hope you got your reading glasses in front of you. And perhaps a pen, pencil and a notepad. Because uh, I'm going to try to go through this. It's probably going to be a little long. Uh, but bear with me. Uh, because we're gonna, we're actually going to go to Book of Daniel So if you can, just go to Book of Daniel right now, chapter 9 It's a wonderful passage uh, It's an extremely important passage But before I get there, uh, let's just go before the Lord and pray, amen? Let's pray, bow your hands with me Father, thank you so much for this morning Thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives Thank you so much for this privilege And the opportunity you give us to come before your presence this morning. I mean to really 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 come before your presence this morning. Father, I love that. And I know that I've talked about it extensively already. But if we don't do anything else here this morning, we're going to talk about your presence. We're going to talk about the the wonderful privilege and the opportunity that, that you give us to worship you in spirit and in truth. What else is there? Besides worship You in spirit and in truth. Besides knowing You personally and intimately. And I say that, Lord God, because it's so easy to get lost in this world today. So easy to get lost navigating through the the politics of Christendom and all these other voices, Lord God, that seem to come against the things that really matter. What really matters is that we are children of the Most High God. And that we are in Your presence And then you're gonna lead us, you're gonna guide us through everything that is happening in the world today, through everything that is happening in our personal lives, the whether it's sickness or 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 anything else, Lord God, afflicting or oppressing us. We thank you so much that we are children of the Most High God, and you are worthy to be praised. Thank you for this morning once again. Thank you for the Bible study that we're gonna enter into right now. May you give us wisdom. May you give us knowledge, and certainly may you flood our hearts and souls with understanding. We give you the glory, and all the honor, and all the praise. And God's people say, Amen, Amen. So, last week, we spoke primarily, just as a brief uh, summary concerning what what we were looking at last week. Uh, we spoke primarily about Israel and how the nation has always served as God's focal point for all of his predictions and as such we highlighted the idea that if we truly want to understand prophecy and its fulfillment we need to keep our eyes centered on that tiny nation known as Israel because all prophecy is centered around that particular nation centered around God's people You know, uh, on that note, it kind of hurts my heart. I do a lot of reading and a lot of studying, and I come across a lot of material by certain individuals, we're not going to name any names, it's not necessary, who actually promote the idea that somehow the church, and I may have mentioned this before, somehow the church has replaced the nation of Israel in prophecy and scripture, and uh, that's not true, and so we may or may not touch on that this morning, but that is not true. We we must as the church keep our eyes on Israel <clears throat> because God through them is going to enable us to understand his fulfillment of key passages of scripture especially Daniel chapter 9. Today the idea is just simply to set another layer to this prophetic narrative that we started last week. It was important that we talk about Israel last week and we kind of spent all of our time on that particular nation, but it was important uh, because as I stated already, we need to understand the nation of Israel in order to truly understand prophecy. Today we're going to add another layer to that. We're going to talk about um, Daniel's vision or Daniel's prophecy. And this one is extremely important. It's going to be a lot of material that I'm going to throw at you, a lot of different passages that we're going to read, uh, that we're going to look to. A lot of different concepts and stuff like that. A lot of different views. I'm going to, pre- I'm going to be honest and transparent. And present a few different views from this particular passage uh, uh, to you. Uh, but before we read this passage. It's important to know that this particular passage. This particular vision or prophecy. However you want to refer to it as. Is ultra, ultra, ultra important. For many reasons. Why? Number one. Because it speaks about the nation of Israel, and it allows us to understand where Israel is on God's timeline, on God's timetable, God's prophetic clock. It us, allows us to understand where the church is as well, on God's prophetic clock. And, and then also, thirdly, it allows us to understand why the enemy is so, so ferocious, if we could put it that way, on the world stage the way that he is today. This prophecy, this vision... Encompasses everything that transpires in the New Testament. Every prophecy, every activity, every event in the New Testament in our lifetime is fixed right here. It flows from this particular prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. So, why don't you go with me to Daniel 9? We're going to start reading in verse 20 and we're going to go to verse 27. The Bible reads, Now when I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering or the evening prayer. Sacrifice and he informed me and talked with me and said, "Oh Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand at the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and i have and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved isn't that amazing let's just pause here for a moment isn't that amazing that the prophet Daniel He retreats to prayer and fasting, etc. He's seeking the face of God. And then all of a sudden, he receives a visit from the angel Gabriel himself. And he not only shares this particular vision with him, but he declares first, before giving the vision, that he was loved, that he was beloved by God in heaven. Imagine that. It says, Therefore consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city, To finish the transgression, number one. Number two, to make an end of sins. Number three, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Number four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Number five, to seal up vision and prophecy, or to seal up vision and prophet, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand, that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, until Messiah the Prince There shall be seven weeks, and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it all shall be with a flood, and to the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. Even until the consummation which is, to, which is determined is poured out on the desolate. What an amazing, amazing amazing passages, there, 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 are, there are actually a lot of layers to consider from this particular passage, and I'm going to do my best, I put together a lot, an outline here from all the reading that I've done this particular week, and let me tell you, <laughs> it, it wasn't easy, um, I, I actually went through six or seven different commentaries this past week, a whole lot of reading, Just to develop this particular vision um, This particular outline It would be nice if I had a resource That I can get my hands on That I can just boom There's an outline right there And all I have to do is present it But listen folks That is not the case There's a lot of reading There's a lot of writing There's a lot of notes And then finally the, the, the final version here And to make matters worse Just to be a little transparent This week I made a mistake I was typing this thing out And somehow when I went to save it, it was deleted. I don't know how that happened, but it happened. It's the second time in my in my preaching career, we can put it that way, that this has happened and I lost everything and I had to do this all over again last night. Suffice to say, I'm a little tired here this morning. But nevertheless, we have a wonderful, wonderful prophecy here. That actually serves as a basis for everything that is happening on the world stage today. So let me give you the purpose of this particular message this morning. This prediction will help us determine a number of things. How God is dealing with Israel today and what will occur in Israel's new future. Number two, where the church is on God's timetable, I alluded to to this a little few moments back. But it also allows us to understand what exists in our foreseeable future, the church. Um, And it also, of course, explains why the enemy is doing the things that he's doing on the world stage today. The first point that I have before you, that I have for you this morning, is the burden of sin. The burden of sin. And it's extremely important to make mention of this. I could have easily gone right into the prophecy, right into the vision and discuss the elements associated with the verse, the, the verses from, say, 24 through 27. But I didn't want to do that because I just felt a burden in my heart from the Lord to talk about how Daniel opens up this particular chapter. And when we we're not going to read those verses, but if you take the time a little bit later and you start with, chapter 9 verse 1 there's a point in, an important uh, scenario if you could put it that way that the chapter opens up with Daniel immediately goes into this, this, this prayer and fasting before the Lord because he realizes that the 70th week of the Israel's captivity was coming to an end and, and as such, as he was reading through Jeremiah's writings, he, he realized that particular point, that the captivity was going to come to an end, the 70 years was going to expire, and that he had to do one thing, and one thing only, that he had to go before the Lord in prayer and fasting, because... He he wanted to put himself in a position of repenting. He was a representative of the nation of Israel, or technically Judah. Although I would use the word Israel here for the sake of this particular message. Uh, I use it loosely, but I think technically it's a reference to Judah. But anyway, uh, he goes before the Lord in prayer and fasting, and I think it's extremely important. The nation of Israel, they were in fact in captivity because of their sin. And so now, come on the verge of coming out of that captivity, Daniel takes the time to go before the Lord in prayer and fasting, and he actually rep- he actually repents before the Lord. And it's amazing. He was a righteous man, um, for all intents and purposes here, right? Uh, and yet he includes himself with the nation of Israel, and he repents. and I and I think that's extremely uh, that's extremely important. The setting here, the setting is. Uh, the children, the Hebrew, the Hebrew people find themselves captives in Babylon. And they were of course in that predicament because of the many, the many years of rebellion prior to this particular situation. And I, I thank God for this word because it's going to do a lot to help us understand how God deals with us. And how we should in fact be dealing with God himself. There was hope for the nation of Israel. In spite of the fact that they found themselves in captivity, there was a lot of hope for them. Because as I said to you already early in this particular chapter, God reveals himself to Daniel through the angel Gabriel who began to who began to plead with Daniel concerning the hope that God had for the nation of Israel. Essentially, God was Revisiting the promise that he had made with Abraham so many years before. You talk about faithfulness? This is faithfulness on the part of God. Yes, they found themselves in captivity for 70 years. And before that, before that they found themselves in captivity on so many other uh, occasions. Say the Assyrians, etc, etc, etc. And yet God remains so faithful that right here he ex- he extends himself to the prophet Daniel and he says the captivity is going to come to an end very soon and I will bless your people so this is a promise on so many different on so many different layers on uh, so many different levels and I certainly appreciate God for that he says to Gabriel your prayers were heard from the very beginning we didn't read this particular verses But if you go back and read the first part of this particular chapter, you'll see that. The angel Gabriel says, your prayers were heard from the very beginning. And secondly, he says that you are greatly loved by God in heaven. You are greatly loved and adored and appreciated. Essentially, God was about to remove the burden of sin from the lives of His people by releasing them... From their captivity Releasing them from the, the This bondage Or this slavery if you will They found themselves in The nation of Babylon Or the Babylonian Empire Point number two A promise is given In this particular text In some, in some respects It didn't come across As a promise uh, Mainly because of the nation's Inability to act To accurately understand the vision. But in no doubt it was indeed a promise from God. He was looking to make good on the promise he made long ago to Abraham. I want you to go to Genesis chapter 12 with me. Go quickly to Genesis chapter 12. Because I want you to read this with me. I want you to follow along. Genesis 12. This is a promise that God spoke to To Abraham just adjust myself here a little bit Genesis 12 re- Beginning with verses 2 and 3 uh, It says I will make you a great nation I will bless you and make your name great And you shall be A blessing I will bless ho- those who bless you And I will curse him Who curses you And you All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Can you imagine how Abraham must have felt? I think we shared something along these lines last week as well. But can you imagine how he must have felt? And now consider that this is the base point for why God, through the angel Gabriel, had visited Daniel so long ago. Uh, With respect to this particular passage, go back to Daniel chapter 9. Uh, It's the basis for why God was visiting Daniel. He was remembering the promise that He made to Abraham long before. And this is so important to make because God reveals Himself to you and I today as well in the midst of our difficulties. Because he He remembers the promises that He made to us. In fact, because we are children of faith, Abraham being the father of our faith... He, he visits us today because of the promise that He made to Abraham many, 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 many millennials ago. And I just think, I just think that it's extremely important to make that point. Um, not only for the Jews, but ourselves as well. We are no different from the nation of Israel. We too need to know that God is willing to visit us in our time of need. And to remind us of the promises that He's made to us. Now let's go... Let's just go quickly to point number three. Because I want to get to the nitty gritty of this particular passage. Point number three is a timeline is issued. A timeline is issued. Eventually, they, the nation of Israel was freed from their captivity. They were there 70 years. 70 years was about to expire. And it was almost time for them to go home. But the release was not the sign of their ultimate redemption. It's important to make that point because they knew Daniel must, Daniel was probably listening to the angel Gabriel concerning the, the expiration of the 70 years in captivity. And he probably thought this meant that the nation of Israel was finally, ultimately going to be redeemed by God himself according to the promises that were made long, long before that. But that just wasn't the case, and Daniel probably did not necessarily understand that right away until God began to give him the understanding of this particular prophecy. Um, nevertheless, as a Hebrew, Daniel knew, as God got into this particular, this particular vision, unfolding this particular prophecy, I would imagine that Daniel began to clearly understand what God intended. By this particular vision number, it, it, We know that he was, a, he was a Hebrew He was a Jew So he started to make sense of this this These, these terms That God was using uh, Number one for example This particular vision Uses the phrase Sabbath weeks Or refers to Sabbath weeks of years And secondly the reason They were in Babylon in the first place Sabbath weeks of years Look to um, verse 24 with me Daniel 9 verse 24 it begins with the phrase 70 weeks and so this is what I was just referring to as a Hebrew and understanding the Levitical law Daniel must have known immediately what Gabriel was referring to when he begins the prophecy with those words 70 weeks we're going to get into that in a few moments Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. As I said to you before, as we read the passage, number one, to finish the transgression. Number two, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy. And number six, to anoint the most holy. I know for certain that two things immediately, immediately must have entered Daniel's mind. Number one, complete repentance was required on the part of the nation of Israel. Gabriel's visit confirmed that much. And then secondly, there would be a long waiting period instead of the brief period remaining, remaining before the nation of Israel was released from their captivity. Again... Complete repentance was required on the part of God's people, and then number two, there will be a long waiting period, all from that one clause, 70 weeks. When you and I read that, for example, when you, when you and I read that, that phrase like that 70 weeks," immediately our mind goes to, say, 490 days, which amounts to, uh, I think a little of my math, is, it serves me well a little over 16 months uh, but Daniel, but to Daniel it, it meant much more than that according to the Bible they were supposed to allow the land to rest every 7th year now this is important to understand that meant leaving the land unworked they weren't supposed to do anything in the land no, no toiling, no sowing, no reaping, no harvest nothing like that which brings us to point number 4 the land Sabbath. I know we're going quickly through these points. But all these points are just subpoints, uh, Just to get really quickly to the meat, if you will, of this particular vision. This fourth point is the land promise. Now let's consider this for a moment. Uh, because this sets the tone for everything that we're going to talk about. In the, the meat, if you will, of this particular prophecy. And I want you to go with me to Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus 25, because this gives us an understanding as to what it is Daniel must have been thinking when he started listening to the angel Gabriel concerning these 70 weeks. What was the angel Gabriel referring to? Was he referring to it these weeks as in days, or were there years? And it's important to understand this. Go to Leviticus chapter 25, and we're going to be reading verses 2 through 5. And the passage reads, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. The land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard, and gather in its fruit. But in the seventh year, there should be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You should neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard, what grows of its own accord of your harvest, you shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of your un- nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is a year of rest for the land. Wow, uh, amazing. Clearly, this particular subject concerning the rest that God wanted the land to experience, clearly, this was an extreme concern to the Lord. Um, But was it the reason the Hebrews were enslaved in Babylon in the first place? I want us to look at another passage. Just turn, stay in Leviticus and I want you to go to Leviticus Leviticus chapter 26. And I want us to consider another passage that relates to the consequence. The consequence. And I want to make the connection, as I just stated a few moments ago, that this was indeed one of the reasons why Israel, or Judah, found themselves in captivity for 70 years uh, in the land of the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians. Leviticus chapter 26, look with me to verse 33 through 35. It says, if you do not keep my commandments, I will scatter you among the nations, and draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate, and your cities waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths. Did you see that? I'm going to back up again. I'm going to read those verses. Those those words again. Because I want us to make the connection between the violation of Israel. And the part of not keeping the land Sabbath. And why they found themselves in captivity. Let's read that again. I will scatter you among the nations. And draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate. And your cities waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbath. As long as it lies desolate. And you are in your enemies. Land Wow Then the land shall rest and enjoy Sabbath As long as it lies desolate It shall rest For the time it did not rest on your Sabbath When You dwelt in it Of course I added a little emphasis there When I began uh, Verse 33 But it, it doesn't get any more serious than that The question is What was The consequence? Right? Let's just take for granted that, that we don't, it's not necessarily referring to the 70 years of cap- captivity in the land of uh, the Babylonians. Let's just take for granted. Now, let, I want you to look at another passage with me because I want to stack these together to prove the point that when we read about the land Sabbath in the 25th chapter of the book of Leviticus, and then the consequence in chapter 26. That indeed they're all connected. That this is the reason why God's people, the Hebrew people, found themselves in captivity in the land of the Babylonians. Go with me to Second Chronicles. Told you we're going to do some homework. This is a Bible study, not a sermon, if you will. Go to go with me to Second Chronicles, chapter thirty-six. Second Chronicles, chapter thirty-six. 2nd Chronicles 36, just giving you a few moments, 2nd Chronicles 36, and look with me to verse 20, it says, and those who escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon, Babylon is mentioned here, where they became servants to him, Nebuchadnezzar, and his sons unto the rule of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord, by the mouth of Jeremiah, now this is a point Jeremiah is now mentioned, until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths, as long as as she lay desolate, and she kept her Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. There it is right there. All of these things are connected. All these particular passages, they, they overlap because the men who wrote them lived around the same time. And here are certain proofs that I want to give to you um, in making this point. Number one, Jeremiah is mentioned in this one particular passage. And of course, he was the one who prophesied against God's people prior to the captivity of Babylon. Number two, the land Sabbath is mentioned. And that's clearly the main issue in this particular prophecy. Or this particular point that we're trying to make here, and number three, 70 years of captivity right here in Second Chronicle is mentioned, which is indeed the consequence. And concerning Jeremiah, we know that he was a prophet who was first prophesying to the nation of Israel, prophesying to Judah concerning their rebellion against God for all those years. In fact, it was over clearly over four hundred years, almost almost five hundred years of rebellion against God, and they did not keep the land, the land Sabbath during that time, this is the reason why they found themselves in captivity, in Babylon, the question is, what did Jeremiah preach, right, because I, I just inserted Jeremiah into, into the narrative, what did he preach, was he alive during that time, he was indeed, I'm not going to get into all of those specifics, all of those details, because we'll be here all day long, but I want you to turn with me to Jeremiah, Chapter 25, Jeremiah 25, because he's the one who's mentioned here in 2 Chronicles, the passage that we just finished reading, he was the one who was alive during that time, and and Ezra, who finishes the Second book of Chronicles, there were a number of prophets, a number of men, men of God, who who compiled the Chronicles, right? We want to make this point here, that he was a prophet alive right before captivity and during that captivity. Jeremiah 25, we're going to read verses 8 and 9, and then verse 11. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar, that was the link we made before, and Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon, my servant, Just think of that. He refers to Nebuchadnezzar. God refers to Nebuchadnezzar as his servant. Not that he was righteous. Not that he was keeping the commandments of the Lord. But that he was using him as a vessel to persecute or declare judgment on the nation of Israel and Judah. My servant and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants... And against these, these nations all around. And will utterly destroy them. And make them an astonishment. A hissing. A perpetual desolations. And this whole land shall be a desolation. And an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon. 70 years. There it is. The connection has been made. Between all of these passages. Concerning the land Sabbath. Leviticus 25 The consequence of not keeping the land The the land Sabbath Leviticus chapter 26 Chronicles we read about Jeremiah Read about the 70 years And right here in Jeremiah chapter 25 We make the connection The 70 years As mentioned again Now let's go through these I just did that really quickly But let's go through these The question is what do we know so far Number one we know these passages are referencing the same time period, and the same sac- circumstance that takes place. And again, the prophets lived around the same time. Number two, we know rebellion and the land Sabbath, they were in question. Why? Because Leviticus point that, points that out. Number three, we know the 70 year captivity was the result of their rebellion, as well as a violation of the land Sabbath. All three passages that we just finished reading confirm that. Number four, we know the 70 years of captivity took place in Babylon. And number five, and lastly, when you put these things together, we know that they were in rebellion for at least 490 years, which is the duration consistent with the 70 land Sabbath. We're going to go into that in a few moments. Let, 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 let's let do the math so that you could understand what I just finished stating there. It. it's extremely complex it's extremely comprehensive I don't have the time to get into that but we're going to consider the math in a moment some of you who are students of the Bible probably know where I'm going with this um, um, and of course you have this video that you can just simply go back to Uh, to refer to and um, revisit this conversation Uh, let's do the math this particular passage mentions the the Daniel chapter 9 go back to Daniel chapter 9 for a moment it it refers to it makes mention of 490 years now let's just say that these are 490 years uh, presumed uh, referring to the rebellion of, of, of God's people if you take 490 years and you divide it by 7 we talked about that in Leviticus chapter 25 Leviticus chapter 26 the 7 years being the land Sabbath years every 7 years the children of Israel God's people they were supposed to allow the land to rest uh, for one entire year no sowing no reaping no harvest nothing at all Seven years. So if you take the 490 years of Daniel's prophecy and you divide it by seven, um, it equals 70 years. And that 70 years represents the number of years that they were, in fact, in captivity and in also the number of years representing the land Sabbath violations. They violated 70 land Sabbath years which, if you do the math correctly, the one year is given in captivity for so every year of Sabbath year they violated, which would probably mean that they, were probably, they probably had rebelled against God for at least 490 years prior to their 70 years of captivity. We're going we're gonna to go through this as the prophecy unfolds is going to make a little more sense Uh, because here comes the interesting part, let me give you point number 5 as we continue delving into this point number 5 is a template a template it it seems as if when we look at Daniel's prophecy um, go back to Daniel 9 when we 924, uh, to be exact. When we consider the 490 years that are prescribed here, because that's what, that's what God said. It says 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. That's how that particular verse commences. 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Now, what's he referring to? Is it 490 days or 490 years? And this, of course, is clearly referring to the total time allotted to Israel before God will bring in everlasting redemption. Similar word, look at verse 25, because similar words are repeated in that particular verse. It says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem or rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah the prince there should be 7 weeks and 62 weeks 7 weeks and 62 weeks in other words there would be a total of 69 weeks which would equal 400 uh, I'm sorry which would equal yes 483 years between the start of this particular prophecy to the point when Christ is crucified. The 70th week, we're going to get to that a little bit later and in great detail next next Sunday. The 7 the 70th the week would total 490 years and that's mentioned in verse 27. But let's go back again. This right here in verse 25 the angel Gabriel announces to Daniel that an allotment of 400 And 83 years Well if you go back to verse 24 uh, A total of 490 years Has been given to the nation of Israel To God's people To God's people Let's put it that way In my mind I keep thinking about Israel and Judah Israel and Judah And we know that technically this was A prophecy spoken to Judah Not Israel Because at the same time Israel found themselves captives uh, To the Assyrians To the Assyrians Right Right So, forgive me there in that conflating the two together. God's people, the Hebrew people, received this particular message from the angel Gabriel, and the allotted time was 490 years. What's the significance of that? 490 years. I don't want to go through those verses again, the initial text that we read, 20 through 27. But the gist of it is this. That God was repeating, that God was revisiting His promise... The promise that he made long ago to Abraham, and that the, at the end of the 490 years, at the end of the prophecy given by Gabriel, God would fully redeem the nation of Israel. God would fully redeem his people. He would perfect them, he would draw them in, and it's important to note that this is not a reference to any individual person. We know that today, there are a lot of Jews who have given themselves to Jesus Christ. They are Messianic Jews. There are a lot of Messianic churches in this country. There are a lot of Messianic churches in Israel. Believe it or not. A lot of Jews have gotten saved. But this is not a reference to the church. This is not a reference to those individual Jews who have gotten saved. This is a reference to the nation of Israel. So we can't get into any replacement theology or anything along those lines. God is prophesying that one day the nation of Israel... Would be saved. And the allotted time. And the allotted time given. In this prophecy for their salvation. Was 490 years. But then as we move into verse 25. The angel Gabriel kind of presents a division. Of sorts. In this particular vision. A division. He seems to separate 69 weeks from, seven, from the 70th week, and I think it's extremely clear. There are some theologians who actually who actually say that it's divided into three parts. I'm not going to get into that too much because I don't necessarily subscribe to that. It says that the first seven seven the seven weeks or 49 years because we have to multiply seven times seven, and it gets into that in verse 26, etc that the first seven weeks, 49 years, is a reference to the nation of Israel, and the rebuilding of the nation, and then once that 49 years concludes, starts uh, uh, another period of 434 years, between the end of the rebuilding of Jerusalem, and Christ's crucifixion, I don't don't see it that way, I I say that those seven weeks, the 49 years, and the, the 69 weeks, or rather the, I'm trying to get, get my thoughts, the first 7 weeks, and the other 62 weeks totaling 483 years that they are combined together, because it took all that time for God's people to rebuild the nation, the, or rather to rebuild Jerusalem, and we see that in scripture. We're not going to get into that. But if you get into the scriptures in the New Testament, you listen to Jesus' words, you read other minor prophets and their messages, we see that the rebuilding of Jerusalem, the city and the nation took longer than 49 years. So uh, there are two divisions, nonetheless, that are spoken of in this particular prophecy. These divisions, of course, are related to the land Sabbath cycle. That Gabriel referred to in the prophecy. Theologians concerning this language. Let's get into this language just a little bit. The Hebrew language. Concerning the Hebrew language. In this text. The weeks of years is mentioned. It says 70 weeks. Let's go back to the verse. Look at verse 24. It says 70 weeks are determined for your people. And for your holy city. And then verse 25. Know therefore and understand, that from the going forth of the command, to restore and build or rebuild Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. Is it a reference to days? Or is a reference to years? Right here, according to theologians, uh, related to the original Hebrew language here, is referring to weeks of years. Weeks of years and not weeks of days. Not 490 days for 490 years. Therefore, 70 weeks equals a period of 490 years related to this particular prophecy. One year is given for every day in question. Totally, 490 years. Um, also, um, go back to verse 24 because in this ver- in in verse 24. After 70 weeks are determined for your people in your holy city, there are six goals that are mentioned there. So God is speaking to the nation, to God's to the Hebrew people. He's speaking to His people once again, and He gives them six goals that He wanted them to conclude. He wanted them to finalize, six goals, before their complete redemption at the end of 400 in 90 years and while the emphasis of this particular lesson is not on those six goals it's important to to at least refer to them so that you see so that as you think about prophecy and as our prophecy unfolds and you have to number one think about the nation of israel because all prophecy is centered around the nation of israel and as you contemplate the nation of israel you got to think about what god has laid out to them Prior to the completion of the 490 years um, and their complete redemption. The question that I have before you now is can we determine when these things will come to pass? Can we determine when these things will come to pass? Which brings me to point number 6. We're going to get right back into these verses. Don't worry, I didn't leave anything else. Just got it out rather. I just got to give it to you one layer at a time. For for my sake Point number 6 is Start time and prophecy Divisions Start time and prophecy Divisions Verse 25 It gives us a working timeline For the fulfillment Of this prophecy It doesn't necessarily give us a Precise start time Or finish time And I know for those of you who are Uh, Students of the Bible That probably came across as a little controversial Not knowing the start time But here's what I mean That the Because of the controversy Related to the start time We don't necessarily we We cannot necessarily Fix ourselves on A precise start time There are four different views And I'm going to give you these views Here this morning There are four different views to the start time. So it makes it difficult for us to know exactly when this prophecy started. Now what am I referring to? Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. And then verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah. So it speaks of a a start period. And it speaks of an end period we don't necessarily know the precise start time because it's so controversial i got to put that out there uh, because you need to know the four different views that exist and depending on what authority you read what commentaries you read one one particular commentary uh author of the commentary may refer to one particular view you pick up another commentary set. And that author is going to refer to another start time. And so on and so forth. And it gets extremely complicated. So I want to give you all four views. But before I do so, the second point here of of the start time and finish time, etc. The subject is that concerning the 70th week, it relates to a future event. And we don't know when that is. It hasn't happened yet. We don't know when that's going to come to pass. So we don't know exactly when this prophecy of 490 years is going to be concluded or or made complete. Now let me give you the the four views that exist. It's important. Some of you may see this trivia. I I don't know. But to me it's a Bible study. To me it's extremely significant because this prophecy in verse 25 speaks of a start time. A start time. And if we're going to understand prophecy. Well if we want to understand. We want to give an answer to the question. Where is Israel on God's timetable? Where is the church on God's timetable? We need to understand the start time. Of this particular prophecy. Because as I said to you when we began. This particular prophecy. It serves as the basis for everything that takes place in the New Testament. The first view is this. And it pertains to um, King Cyrus. He used that term king loosely. He was a king, um, but he was probably referred to as something else. King Cyrus, in the first year of his reign, he gave the decree to rebuild the temple in the year 538 BC. And I want to read this to you. In fact, I want you to go to 2 Chronicles. Because I want you to see this. Make a note of this on your notepad if you're hopefully you're taking notes, right so that you can refer back to this uh, a little bit later, but you need to understand this. Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 36. Second Chronicles chapter 36, beginning with verse 22. Earlier we read 20 and 21. This is 22 and 23. It says, "Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. That the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, there it is, connecting it once again to to the narrative in Daniel, in all of Daniel to begin with. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also put it in writing, saying, thus saith Cyrus king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given to me. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem which is in Judah who is among you who is among you all of his people. That's a question. I know it sounded like a statement. I totally messed that up. Who is among you of all his people. This is the New King James Version. May the Lord his God be with him and let him go up, so he makes a a decree he's listening to God probably heard from the spirit of God himself not necessarily within him right, because this is a pagan king Uh, for sure, that's not a that's not a question there but yet God reveals himself to him God burdens him concerning the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem, he makes this proclamation, he talks to the leaders of the, of God's people of the Hebrew people and he instructs them to go ahead. He basically gives them permission to go, go into Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And anybody who wanted to go with whoever it was. I'm not sure if it was Ezra, etc. that They were able to go. That's what's happening here. But remember, bear in mind that this took place 538 B.C. According to our records. Which are, for the most part, precise concerning this particular decree. The second view is Darius the first. Darius the first. In his, in the second year of his reign he confirms the decree made by Cyrus before him in the year 520 B.C. Put that down in your notes. 520 B.C. Go with me to Ezra chapter 6 because I want you to see this. Ezra chapter 6. We're going to be reading Verses 1, 2, and 3, and then 6 and 7. 1, 2, and 3, 6, and 7. Or at least certain, certain clauses, if you will, of those verses. Maybe not necessarily read them all. Just go, I want to go, go through them. Ezra chapter 6, you there? Say amen. amen. Verse 1. Then King Darius issued a decree, and the search was made in the archives where the treasures were stored in Babylon verse number 2 and that akmetha probably mispronounced that and that akmetha in the place that is in the province of Media a scroll was found remember this is sometime later a couple years after, after Cyrus a scroll was found and in it a record was written thus look at verse 3 in the first year of King Cyrus, King Cyrus issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Quote, let the house be rebuilt, the place where they offered sacrifices. Let the foundations of it be firmly laid. Now go with me to verse 6. Now therefore, Tatanai, probably another mispronouncement. Now therefore, Tatanai, governor of the region beyond the river, and Shatabaznai, and your companions, the Persians, who are beyond the river, keep yourselves far from there. Now let's just pause there before I read the 7th verse it's amazing, this particular king, Darius I, he makes this decree, he makes this proclamation in the year 520 BC, and we know that to be almost precise, he makes this declaration, he gives the order, he signs the decree, and he makes sure that these governors on the province, on the other side of the river, that they understood his edict, stay away from Jerusalem, I love that, and it kind of makes me want to cry, And and I know this is a a, a parenthetical statement on my part, uh, but it's important to me because it speaks to how God loves his people. God loves his people. And when God says, don't touch my children, don't touch my people, don't touch my house, don't touch my city, don't touch my nation. He means, don't touch my people or my nation. Oh my goodness, I think about passages like like um, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think about passages like Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I love. I would love to run away with this and preach it right there and raise my tone and run away with this thing right here because it just speaks volumes to me concerning the way God is able to take care of His people. The way God is able to take care of His people. Now look with me back to um, Ezra 6. Look at the 7th verse. It says, let the work of this house of God alone. Let the work of this house of God alone. Leave it alone. Don't touch it. Don't mess with it. Imagine that. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God on its site. Wow. I just love that now let's move on for the sake of time the third view is this in the year 457 BC and we know this to be almost precise in the year 457 BC in the seventh year of the reign of Artaxerxes that's probably another mispronouncement pronouncement. In, the, in the year of Artaxerxes the first Artaxerxes 1 Longiminus. Longiminus. That's, that's his name. In the 7th year of his reign. Go with me to Ezra 7. Ezra chapter 7. Because I want you to see this. We're going to be looking at verses 6, 8, 11 and 13. 6, 8, 11 and 13. And we probably won't be reading all of them. I have them in front of me. But we're going to do some skipping. Okay. 6, Verse 6, chapter 7... This Ezra came up from Babylon... And he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses... Which the Lord God of Israel had given... The king granted him all his requests... You should highlight those words... Because they speak volumes... The king granted him all his requests... According to the hand of the Lord his God upon him... Look at verse 8... And Ezra came to Jerusalem... In the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. In the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. Verse 11. This is a couple letter that King Artaxerxes gave Ezra the priest, the scribe, expert in the words of the commandments of the Lord and the statutes of Israel. Verse 13. I issue a decree. Oh, highlight. I issue a decree that all, those, that all of those of the people of Israel and the priests and Levites in my realm who volunteer, to go up to, who volunteer to go up to Jerusalem may go with you so here's another decree here's the third decree given in scripture that we can look to as a starting point of Daniel's prophecy the fourth decree is as follows also by this same particular king Artaxerxes won long in in the year in the 20th year of his reign in the year 445 or 444 BC in the year 445 or 444 BC and as I stated earlier I read seven different commentaries this past week I read almost every word concerning the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel And almost every single one of them agree on all of these dates. And all of these different views. Uh, Let me read to you. Go to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1, 4 and 6. Verse 1, 4 and 6. Nehemiah chapter 2, just giving you a moment Verse 1, 4 and 6 Verse 1 reads And it came to pass In the month of Nisan Or Nisan, I'm not sure In the month of Nisan In the 20th year Of King Artaxerxes When wine was before him That I took the wine And gave it to the king Who? Nehemiah That I took the wine and gave it to the king Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Now let's just skip. Go to verse 4. Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Highlight like those words. That I may rebuild it. Look at verse 6. Then the king said to me, How long will your journey be? And when will you return? So, so it pleased the king to send me. That, that, that. So it pleased the king to send me. Those are the views. However, as I stated before, controversy exists surrounding which decree to use as the starting point of Daniel's prophecy. But one thing we know to be certain, as I studied this this past week, one thing all the theologians, all these authorities agree upon, is that it must have been the decree given by Artaxerxes Longiminus. Artaxerxes I, Longimenus. Which served as a starting point of Daniel's prophecy. He made two separate ones, two separate decrees as we went through them. One in 457 B.C. and the other in 445 or 444 B.C. And either one of them or both in combination. And I say both in combination because some of these commentary sets that I read this week actually present that. As an option that both his decree in combination serve as a starting point for Daniel's prophecy. And so based on the tentative use of those dates, the completion this, based on the, the tentative use of those dates, the completion of the sixty nine weeks in Daniel nine twenty six. Places the fulfillment of that prophecy of those 69 weeks at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So the starting point was probably somewhere between 457 BC, 445, 444 BC. And when you start the time, the timetable, the timeline of 69 weeks, 483 weeks in, let's back up, why 69 weeks? It's because the 70th week allotted for the redemption of Israel is spoken of as a division, as a separate period. And that's given to us in verse 27, Daniel chapter 9. We're going to discuss that next week. So there are two periods or divisions. This first division, 69 weeks, the starting point of which is that the decree given by Artaxerxes I Longiminus in either 457 BC or 445 or 444 BC more than likely 445 BC from that starting point to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ uh, we have a total of 483 years the completion of the 69 weeks of Daniel's Prophecy. I think that's extraordinary. Now I want to challenge you. I want to I want to compel you to do your own homework. Pick up some commentary sits. Go online. Study this. And if you want, I can send you a link to some of the things that I considered myself so that you can review this on your own time so that you can see how significant and how powerful this is. Why? Why is it so significant? Because again, This particular prophecy serves as a basis for everything transpiring in the New Testament. The basis for all of prophecy and its fulfillment in the New Testament. It helps us determine where the church is. We're going to look at that a lot next week. It also helps us to determine where Israel is on God's timetable. We're going to consider that a lot next week as well. For now, I'm, I'm drawing to a close. I have a couple points that I want to make here. A couple of things that I want to share with you uh, concerning the latter half of the point that I was making concerning verse 25. And I want to get to that in a moment. But just, let's just pause here for a moment and think about how God is so precise in scripture. He started this timeline, this timetable, this, time this time clock long ago. And he kept it. Down to the very, very last day. And again, I can send you some material that will prove to you, depending on which year you use, namely 445 B.C. That if you count to the very last day, 483 years using the the um, not sure if it's the lunar using the Jewish calendar of 360 days. To the very last day. When Jesus walks into Jerusalem. That triumphal entry. That Sunday. His last time. Here on earth. In his public ministry. That he entered Jerusalem. To the very last day. When he was crucified. 483 years. Few hundred thousand days. Precisely. Amazing. Now concerning Concerning the last portion of this point that I was making. Go back to 9.25. Daniel 9.25. Concerning the last portion uh, of this point. It, de- it deals with the apparent divisions that exist in this prophecy. Scholars, as I said to you already, refer to them as either two or three periods. We talked about that already. And, and both 25 and 27. Both verses 25 and and twenty-seven Speak of these divisions 69 weeks are given in verse 25 And the final 70th week is given in verse 27 And uh, I want to say to you That personally I favor the more logical And contextual uh, view Of combining the 7 weeks And the 62 weeks of verse 25 I know this is confusing Combining the 7 weeks and the 62 weeks Mentioned in verse 25, I combine them together, totaling 69 weeks or 483 years. Most theologians, most commentary sets that I read, they concede this point, and it seems apparent. It seems apparent for two reasons, and I want to give you this. Number one, the seven weeks and the 62 weeks mentioned in verse 25, the phrase is mentioned the phrase seven weeks and 62 weeks is mentioned after the phrase the Messiah, the Prince of Peace and not before, so it's referring to a period of time after, the secondly the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem to its completion took longer than 49 years mentioned in the seven weeks and those are just two points uh, I know uh, it, it may have come across a little confusing there uh, Because this in my mind it's just so comprehensive And it's just so difficult to, to, to lay out here But the Messiah is mentioned first And this particular phrase comes up after So those are, those are the divisions So you group, you group the 7 weeks and the 62 weeks together Totaling 69 weeks And then the 70th week mentioned in verse 20 7 Next week we're going to look at that particular passage we're going to pick up again here in verse 25 or rather we're going to pick up in verse 26 we're going to delve into the the questions about the church the establishment of the church and I'll give you a little tidbit in advance the reason why theologians separate this particular prophecy into two periods One of 69 weeks and the other of one week, totaling 70 weeks or 490 years, is because the prophecy kind of refers to an interval that exists between those two periods. 69 weeks and the final 70th week. It refers to an interval or postponement of the 490 year allotted period given to Israel. What transpires in that interval? That's what we're going to be talking about next week. Let's bring this to the close. And before we do, let me just summarize it by simply stating that if all this information that I've given you here is correct, especially the last portion of it, if this information is correct, it means the decree decree to rebuild the city started the prophetic countdown... And Jesus Christ was crucified 483 years later. I think that's extraordinary. I think, I think it speaks to the preciseness of our God, the, the omnipotence of our God, the omnipresence of our God, and the omnific, omnific, omniscience of our God. He sees all, He knows all. He's almighty. Él es todo poderoso. He is the almighty God. He can do whatever he wants. As long as he wants to do it. And right here he made a powerful declaration. Through the angel Gabriel. To the prophet Daniel. That would encompass. Everything happening on the world stage today. Let's pray. Father we thank you so much for. Your word here today. We thank you so much for your lesson. Lord God I encourage your people. To study this particular prophecy on their own. Lord, I did my best to present a few layers of this particular vision, of this particular prophecy, so that at least in my mind it makes a little bit sense. I pray that we may all review this particular lesson and identify the layers of this lesson, that we may gain insight into your dealings with the nation of Israel, and your dealings with us today, the church, the body of Christ. We thank you so much, Father God, for this particular record, as it exists in scripture. And for the many other passages that we looked at here today, and the many other dozens of passages that we could have looked at as well, and turned, it, turned this into a week-long study concerning the the specifics surrounding the nation of Israel or Judah for that matter and why it is you why it is they found themselves in captivity in the first place and then you revisiting the promise that you made to Abraham so many years prior and how it started a prophetic time clock To what we are experiencing today as your people. And what is going to transpire in the new future for us as well as for Israel. Father I think this is extremely profound. And I think we as your children should be looking at this very carefully. Help us to understand this Lord God. Until we meet again this particular Wednesday evening. Should it be your will to give us that particular day. Father may you bless us. May you anoint us in the precious name of Jesus Christ and God's people say Amen Church thank you so much for joining us here today please know that we love you Tim sends out his shout out he's, um, I'm sure that he's been talking to a lot of you via, via the live stream chat page which is a wonderful tool thank you so much for joining us those of you in Philadelphia Miguel, Bridget, New York, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Chrissy and Bobby Joe in the the suburbs of Philadelphia, thank you so much for joining us. If you have indeed joined us, church, family, Grace Grace Walk family, thank you so much for joining us. Please know that we're praying for you. Please give me a call should you need um, anything from me. If you need a conversation, you need some prayer, you need me to come. Drop off something. I can do that. Those of you who are elderly. Uh, if you need us to drop something off. Please do not hesitate to ask. I still have. This might seem a little embarrassing to those of you in Philly, But as you hear it's But listen I still got. <laughs> I still got toilet paper rolls. So if you need toilet paper. I got cases of it still. If you need some just reach out to me. Send, you, send me a text. Send an email. Reach out to Tim. Um. Type it into the chat right now. We'll get it. And I'll get it out to you. I'll put it in a bath, I'll wear my mask. We'll get that out to you. And also, we haven't forgotten. We know that next Sunday is Mother's Day, I believe. Next Sunday, next Sunday is Mother's Day. We'll, we'll, my wife and I are t- thinking through some things. We're going to purchase some things um, this week. And um, you may be surprised to find something on your doorstep um, this coming Sunday. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Till I see you again. I love you in the name of the Lord. God bless you. Amen.